Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center and clinical innovation in our Head & Neck Institute. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson, and you can get the latest updates from our institute by following at Clee Clinic HNI. That's C L E Clinic HNI. Today, I'm excited to talk with Dr. Julie Honecker, our audiology section head in Cleveland Clinic's Head and Neck Institute. You can follow Dr. Honecker on Twitter at Julie Honecker, PhD. Dr. Honecker, welcome to Head and Neck Innovations. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm very much looking forward to learning about our vestibular program and some of the services that you've developed uh, for patients and caregivers. But let's start by having you share some background on yourself for our listeners, where you're from, where you trained, how you came to Cleveland Clinic. Sure. I was born and raised in Ohio, so actually Southwest Ohio. I grew up in Hamilton and went to school at The Ohio State University and University of Cincinnati where I started off in special education, and I um, had to have a major as part of that, and I fell in love with communication disorders, in particular speech-language pathology and audiology. And from there, I uh, took the path of audiology and completed my master's and then went on for my PhD at the University of Cincinnati. I did uh, postdoctoral training for clinic and research with an emphasis on vestibular imbalance disorders at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota for two years. And then I actually took uh, my first real career position was at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where I was an assistant professor, had a full-fledged research lab related to vestibular disorders and concussions. So I did a lot with the athletes at University of Nebraska and was there through my tenure. I was an associate professor and then I actually got a call asking if I would be interested in coming to the Cleveland Clinic and starting up an audiology, their vestibular program. And it just was a natural fit at the time for my family and for my career to kind of dive back into the clinic and kind of integrate my my research actually with a patient population again. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's great. I don't think I knew that. I, I wanted to find out how yeah. did you choose vestibular disorders and, and balance? Walk me through that. What, what sort of excited your uh, intellectual curiosity about that? Great question. You know, I've always been one to take the road less traveled. And I think in audiology, if I have, had to pick a facet, it would be balance and vestibular. Um, just because it was different and unique. And I was just fascinated with all the questions related to vestibular physiology. But what really turned the corner is that when I was at the University of Cincinnati, where our allied health program was, it was right integrated in the medical school. So we were like one building over. So a lot of my friends at the time were medical students and they were going through their rotations in the ED while I was learning about vestibular physiology. And they're like, well, that's great with how the balance system works, but I'm seeing the other end of the spectrum with all these patients coming in with, you know, hip fractures or fall related injuries or dizziness related to something going on. And they're like, why don't you focus your time on why they're developing this and how the balance system breaks down? And I was like, oh, okay. So, 
you know, it just from there, I just decided that that was really a passion and something that I wanted to really focus my career on. And I sought out experts across the country, which kind of led to my time at the Mayo Clinic. I kind of went to University of Pennsylvania for an externship and worked under a, a great audiologist and really in the field of vestibular. And I don't know, just kind of decided that I had more questions than I had answered answers for. And that's what really led me down this path. And I still have questions, which is why I love what I'm doing. Well, it's so important. I'm, you know, just from hearing about concussions to falls to, to hip fractures and things like that. I mean, it, it has a real importance, I think, in public health. Can, can you kind of give the, give the listener a high level view? You know, how many Americans are affected each year by vestibular disorders like dizziness or vertigo or, or, or how would you, you know, even take a more foundational step? You know, how do you describe vestibular disorders? You know, what's sort of the patient experience um, in this regard? Well, I'll start with the the second part to that. What's the patient experience? And then I'll get into kind of prevalence of this vestibular disease. For the patient experience, I would say there's kind of broad categories of symptoms. It's hard for patients to describe because it's something that's not overt. It's what they're they're feeling and they can have kind of a myriad of symptoms that all can fit under this umbrella of dizziness, vertigo, imbalance, or lightheadedness. Dizziness is often described as a spatial disorientation of kind of a perception of the world around you. Vertigo is often you're internalizing the sense of internal motion or the world around you. Your environment is moving, oftentimes in a circular or rotary type fashion. Imbalance is that you have the perception that you're you have disequilibrium or you're not able to maintain your postural control. And then lightheadedness kind of fits under the syncope category. What's challenging with vestibular disorders is that, or I should say under this category of all these symptoms, is that we often think it could be related to some sort of vestibular condition, but that's not always the case. Really, patients can present with dizziness, vertigo, imbalance, lightheadedness, syncope due to a myriad of problems. So it can be something neurological, heart-related, anxiety, medication-related, or actually due to some natural progression of the aging process, which makes it challenging for us as clinicians to try to decipher what could be the cause and why we spend so much time trying to listen to the patients and ask them questions to try to decipher what could be going on. In getting to the first part of your question about prevalence, I think it depends on the studies that are being published and also what they're using for their diagnostic tools. So there are some studies that mention a range from 6% to 35% of adults could have vestibular-related disorders, but it really depends on what they're using to classify vestibular disorders. So I would say as a whole, vestibular, meaning inner ear-related conditions, is probably lower prevalence. For patients reporting dizziness, it's probably the second most common reason why patients would go to their primary care physicians, aside from maybe headaches um, or a cold or something like that. As we age, we are more susceptible to vestibular or inner ear conditions. Probably the most common is referred to benign paroxysmal positional vertigo or BPPV, which is a common inner ear thing. I can go into detail if you're interested. For kiddos, it can happen, but it's not as common. So the prevalence is really low for those younger children. Well, it sure seems, um, you know, there's a really diverse array of etiologies things that can contribute to this. 
you know, can you can you kind of walk us through like what does the multidisciplinary collaboration look like, or perhaps, you know, a, a care path for a referring uh, provider, or how does a patient, you know, meet with your team, or you know, what does that look like? You know, it it's it sounds complicated. So how do you try to work with the patients to get them in and and get them cared for? Absolutely. I would say from a patient perspective, it's always best to go to your home base, which is your primary care physician. So that individual or or provider, I should say, that individual is going to help to decipher whether or not there is some medication or, you know, aging or cardiovascular issue that needs to be further investigated. When a patient is presenting with symptoms of true vertigo, meaning a spinning sensation, or um, perhaps dizziness that they're not sure of the cause, that's where really vestibular audiology can come into the mix. So we are kind of the, the detectives for vestibular disorders to help decipher what could be a potential cause. may not always be ear-related, but we're going to spend a lot of time listening to the patients. Our appointments are upwards of two hours. So it's the most time that you know a patient can have to really explain what they're feeling, um, and we can help guide that out of them. And then our evaluation tools are really to help decipher if it's ear-related, perhaps central nervous-related, and what would be that next step in the care planning for the patients. So it's good to kind of help make sure and triage that patients are getting to the right providers and for the right management. We do have, um, you know, our audience for this uh, podcast are all presumably medical professionals. So can you walk us, you know, walk us down, like, what are some of the tools that your team has? You know, what are uh, some of the diagnostic maneuvers, equipment, you know, things like that, that are in your armamentarium for these patients? Good question. Well, as I said, we're, our main job is vestibular audiology. And I should say that we work very closely with our partners in rehab, so vestibular PT. So we work together, not in the same facility, but as a team to help with assessment and management for these patients. But for our diagnostic patients, we really are able to get a good idea of function and physiology of all aspects of the vestibular system. So much like the hearing system, We can perform an audiogram looking across frequency range for hearing. We can do the same for vestibular testing by integrating certain components of the vestibular system. In particular, looking at semicircular canal function, we can actually fill in gaps where a disorder may lie for somebody and whether or not it's a complete loss of function, just a mild loss of function, what's spared within the system. And that will help with determining outcomes for rehab. And helps us better understand what we really need to focus on for our rehab efforts. So I would say with the advanced and modern technology that we have in our laboratories, we're able to evaluate all five vestibular end organs across the frequency spectrum, and we can get a good idea of the function of that system, site of lesion, how a person's compensating from loss of vestibular function, and whether or not there's possibly some other contributors to a patient's symptoms, such as central nervous system disorders. Oh, it's fascinating. I mean, to see some of the equipment in the lab, it's it's amazing that you're able to interrogate it with that level of sort of specificity. You know, with new technology, it's always very interesting to see, 
you know, how some of the wearables and things like that exist to try to help people rehabilitate things. Can you share what are some of the you know, new technologies on the horizon for uh, either diagnosing or rehabilitating vestibular disorders? How, how does that seem to be playing out? Yeah, I would say from the assessment end, which I'm more closely tied to, it's really fascinating with a lot of our work is video audiography. So we have video cameras that we're using to track pupil displacement over time so that we can quantify a reflex between the vestibular system and the ocular motor system. I would say with the technology, we're getting more sophisticated that we're able to measure all planes of eye movements now. Where it used to just be two-dimensional, horizontal, vertical, we're now able to measure torsional eye movements, which makes it easier to capture disorders of kind of uh, vestibular organs that were a little more challenging to test. Um, we're able to look more at the function in real time of what's happening with the system. From a rehab standpoint, I think that that technology that we have from assessment can carry over into rehabilitation. And just with looking at all of the, you know, even my phone, I just upgrade my phone. I mean, even these systems now in my watch, I'm able to monitor not only my heart rate, but if I'm going to fall, you know, there's so much that we have the accelerometers that we're able to use to provide real-time biofeedback. And I think that's the real push for rehabilitation now is to provide those cues to be able to help correct for patients so that we can circumvent a fall event. We can help them realign their center of gravity and, and help them with their symptom resolution. A lot with VR too. So that's really exciting with like virtual reality. Yeah, I mean, that that would be, you know, having not tried one of those headsets before, I, I would imagine yeah. that that stimulates the vestibular system. Oh, yeah, I would, yes, it does very much so. And just your kind of your visual optokinetic system. So for those who, you know, there's a lot with VR that can be beneficial in providing simulations to help patients overcome fear of falling and being in a safer environment. But sometimes just the use of those VR systems can be symptom producing. So there's a lot of research that's being worked into that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think about it in a rehabilitative way, but you're right. It almost allows for you know, like uh, biofeedback in a safe way, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, like you said, fear of falling or uh, perhaps even, you know, simulating the home environment or, you know, areas where you're like, oh, I'm worried about this or, oh, this seems to, you know, be, mm -hmm. a, be a trigger for instability. Yeah, there's a lot that's happening with that. Even eye tracking systems that are able to monitor. I did some work at the University of Nebraska where we actually were looking at patients with fear of falling and we were monitoring their eye tracking, looking at just still images of kind of scenarios of rooms with clutter and, you know, scenarios where they have obstacles in a walkway. And it's just amazing what you can pick up with even subtle psychotic movements of the eyes that are much different than other patients who don't have concerns of falling and that we're really seeing some, you know, kind of honing in on some things that you can work on from a rehab standpoint to help them best prepare and have more kind of pros to cods to be able to inform the environment that they're in so they don't fall. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it, it just seems, you know, it seems smart and it seems, um, you know, almost customized to, you know, the, the, the person's environment. So, Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. What else is uh, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up or other take home things that you wanted to share about oh. the program that I, that maybe I didn't 
that we didn't talk about? Like what else? I mean, the, the floor is yours. We um, are very proud of the program. And I, I have to say, you know, in my, in my work and in voice, I, I don't get to interact as, as much clinically with you with patients. Um, I would just say from uh, an audiology standpoint, and probably what we're looking into most as far as my lab and what I'm working on with my vestibular fellow right now, and really looking at vestibular audiology as a whole, we're really trying to fine tune the specific test battery that is most appropriate for patients based on their symptoms and presenting signs. And that's the one thing that we really try to aim for at the clinic is that patients don't go through the same thing every time. It's really dependent. The clinical decision process is really dependent on what they're presenting with, what we're seeing from kind of a bedside examination, and then we tailor the testing based on that. And I'm excited. I think we might be part of a beta site looking at some software algorithm to help kind of even fine tune this even more with some of our objective testing. So that's really exciting and on the horizon for us. And that's great. You know, with, with the beta site, will that be like a clinical trial that uh, patients could inquire about? Is that... Um... Well, we're, we're looking into that. So I'd say stay tuned. Okay. I think it's probably a first phase and then possibly a trial. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. that's very exciting. You know, make sure you you keep us posted so we can so we can let patients know. Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to thank you again for spending time with me today and uh, telling me about your program and your interests. Great to talk with you. Thank you so much. Likewise. When vertigo, dizziness, and balance disorders have you or your patients feeling off balance, count on the experts at Cleveland Clinic to help. For more information on vestibular treatment and evaluation at Cleveland Clinic, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash vertigo. That's clevelandclinic.org slash vertigo. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral to our Head and Neck Institute, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Thanks for joining us today for Head and Neck Innovations. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic Head & Neck Institute experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.com org slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time.